0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Scripture this morning is taken from John 12, 9 through 19. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him.
1: Thank you, Steve. Good morning. If you're new here, I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Jared. I'm on staff here at Restoration Southside. I'm so honored that you would come this morning. We have been studying worship, what it means, and why we do it, and we're going to take a break from that now, and we're going to talk about Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. And so, if you feel a shift in gears, that is what's going on. But before we dive into this text, I just want to get you thinking, haven't you prayed to Jesus for something, begged that it would happen, maybe it was to a relationship to mend, maybe it was for a sin, for him to help you conquer it, maybe it was for someone to be healed, and you didn't get it. Or maybe you prayed that God would help you to be stronger in your faith, that you'd be able to pray more, read your Bible more. It makes sense that he should help you with that so that you can love him more and, and, he, and he doesn't. It's this, it's this sense that Jesus doesn't do exactly what I want him to do. Jesus isn't always who I expect him to be. The reason that I bring that up for you is because expectations shape so much of our experience. Let me say that again. Expectations shape so much of our experience. You've seen this before. If somebody goes to tell you to watch a movie and they say it is the greatest movie they've ever seen, and you watch the movie, you come back and you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, they kind of spoiled it for you by setting the expectations too high. If you don't have the right expectations, you won't have the right experience. And here we find this whole crowd of people around Jesus, and none of them, let me say that again, none of them have the right expectations. And so all of them are going to have a skewed experience. If we look at Jesus as if he is Santa Claus, Who will give us the presence that we need when we ask for them, we will have a skewed experience. If we look at Jesus as the doctor who will come to your house and heal all of your problems all the time, for sure, without fail, we will have a skewed experience. Everybody in the world has an opinion about Jesus and it will shape their experience. So, my question to you is what is your expectation of Jesus? your prayer answerer, your boo-boo fixer, your financial wizard? What expectations do you bring to Jesus which is going to shape your experience? Remember by the end, this week, there are thousands and thousands around Him. And by Thursday, there'll be 11. And by Friday, there'll be just his Father. And on Friday, His Father will forsake Him for you and me. What is your expectation of Jesus? Let's pray and ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit. And I ask, God, that you would be powerfully at work this morning. If we are honest, Jesus has been a disappointment in one way or another to each one of us. Not swooping in when we asked him to, not rescuing us from certain things and experiences we don't want to have, not giving us what we want when we want it. And pray, God, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, deal kindly with us so that we could see what expectations we have of Jesus and how it's shaping our experience of him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Those of you that know me, my uh, house is full. There are seven people that live in my house, and we have five children. That's a lot of children we went for a fourth and were surprised that he brought his twin brother with him and have a fifth no mas no many no more children but what is interesting about my household is that i have four boys and one girl in the middle four boys one girl in the middle and when we were thinking about our third child I was thinking that it might be our last child. (laughs) Joke's on me. And so Aaron said, I want to find out on this one. I want to find out if this is a boy or girl, even though we didn't on the two boys before and we didn't on the twins, I want to find out which one this is. And the reason her thinking with that was, if this is our last child and it is a boy, I want to be able to grieve now at 20 weeks that I have to live with all Huffman men And then 20 more weeks will go by and I'll be excited for whoever shows up and it'll be over with. And so she wanted to find out just in case it was a boy and just in case it was our last one, she wanted to be able to get over it so that she could be happy when he arrived. And so we go to the ultrasound tech. And if you are there at an ultrasound tech, for some reason, as soon as you see them start to doing the work and looking at the screen, um, you feel like you can see more than they do. Now this person does this forty hours a week. That's their full-time job, and they start moving it around. And you're like, "Ha ha! I know what's going on here. I, I, I can see." And so I'm standing there, and I'm expecting to hear, of course, "Huffman's here is your third and final son." And the lady looks and says, "Do you see that? It's a girl." And she, I froze. And she stopped looking at Aaron and turned it look at me and said, is he going to be all right? <laughs> I did not have any expectation to have girls. And it has skewed my experience. In fact, even though Carson is only six years old now, I already hate her future husband. <laughs> it's changed everything about the life I see ahead for my family, my expectations were shifted and it messed with my experience. And that's what John is graciously showing us here in this text, that if you don't have the right expectations going in, your experience will be skewed. You won't get the main point. The crowds there, they expect him to be their personal physician healing all of their problems. The Pharisees there expect that he's trouble. That he has to be dealt with. The disciples there expect that he's their meal ticket. That he's the one who's going to bring them to prominence and fame. And they all miss it. And if we're not careful, we will miss it too. When we think Jesus exists to help me root out all of my sin and my sanctification, that's me slowly changing, that's his job. If that's all you think his job is, you'll be disappointed. If you think all his job is to heal your diseases, every one of them, you'll be disappointed. If you think his job is just to be your savior and not to be your king, you'll be disappointed. Our expectations shape our experience And that's what John is trying to tell us. Well, let's look first at this king and his coming. What does it look like that Jesus comes? Look with me in 9 verses, verse 9 through 15. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the loud, large crowd had come to the feast, heard Jesus was coming out to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the, the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's foal. Excuse me, a donkey's colt. I want you to see the context in which this takes place. This is one of the great moments of the New Testament. There are crowds, literally as far as the eye can see, people are crowding in to Jerusalem. And this guy has just raised somebody from the dead. I mean, we read through this stuff and sometimes it just doesn't shock us enough. Lazarus, Lazarus who they put into a tomb after they wrapped him up and he was in there for four days was called forth from the grave and now he's walking around again with Jesus And the context of this passage is he's healed he's raised Lazarus from the dead and then now he'd come to the feast the next day the large crowd had come to the feast The feast that they're referencing is Passover. It's when the Jews would remember the exodus from Egypt. When God rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians and when they would kill a lamb and they would place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and that they would be rescued. They would not be killed in their homes. So they're literally going to celebrate a party about a lamb's blood who rescued them, and nobody gets it. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land the Lord will give you as He promised, observe this ceremony, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? And then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Egyptians, Of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. You see, what the Israelites had come to understand is, is that the lamb would die instead of them, the lamb would die instead of the people. The Israelites were in just as much danger as the Egyptians. Except when the lamb died and they spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, the lamb died and so no one in the house had to. And that's what they're all flooding in to Jerusalem to celebrate this ceremony where someone else dies, a lamb, so that they didn't have to. And the irony of it is lost on the crowd of people, including his disciples. And sometimes it's lost on us. Sometimes we think, God, why would you save me? Why do you love me? Why would you tolerate me failing over and over again? Why would, you, why would you look fondly on me? And the answer is because of the Lamb. We want so desperately to tie his affection, his fondness, his rescue to some aspect of ourselves because then it'll somehow in our own heads mean more to us but what he's saying here is that the affection that you have, the rescue that you have is because of the lamb. So when you're beating up on yourself at night saying, why would he love me after I've done this again? Why does he continue to forgive me when I don't pursue him, when I don't pray, when I don't read? When I'm so embittered towards him because of what I've been through in the church, why would he love me? Remind yourself, it's because of the lamb It's because of Jesus. It's because the one who comes in and makes the sacrifice. That's how you're supposed to live a life of joy and encouragement is because if you have to point towards your prayers or your faithfulness or you turning it around or you fighting your addictions or you pressing through, you'll be discouraged. You will constantly be discouraged that you you fail, you give up, you don't push hard enough. And neither do I. And Jesus says, take your eyes off of yourself and put them on the lamb. The one who brings you rescue. So you see the context of the whole march is in the Passover. But it's not just a rescuing lamb. It is that that it's trying to draw our attention to. But it's also Lazarus. Did you see it in the text? It says it five times in 17 verses. Lazarus, Lazarus. Not only accounted to see Lazarus, he raised from the dead. And then he says later, because of Lazarus, they're all going after him. It's as if John is reminding us that this is a special kind of lamb. This is a lamb who not only can rescue, can take away sin, but has power over life and death. He can show his power even when things look their worst. I think we as God's people need to be encouraged that God can show his power even when things look their worst. You see the context. You see the the power over even death. And you see this coronation. It shows us that he's our king. Look with me in verse 13. It says this. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel. They're saying Hosanna because in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was this hero, Judas Maccabeus. And he defeated the enemies of the Jews. And when he defeated the enemies of the Jews, they went and got palm branches and they waved them and they laid them down at his feet. This is when he became the king. And so people there are are not missing this opportunity that the new king has come in the middle of Rome's rule. And this is the new guy. This is the new military ruler who's going to take over. And so they do the exact same thing with him as they've done in their past. But they they think he's going to be the king of the strong, the king of, of the military. And you miss him if you think of him like that. He comes as king of the weak the king of the mess-ups, the king of everybody standing there so loyally, and all of them will be gone in five days. He comes for those who don't get it right, who take out their sword and slash somebody's ear in the garden, for people who say, I'll never walk away from Jesus and then walk away from Jesus. He comes for people who don't believe enough, and so they disappear into the night. Jesus comes as king of the weak. Whatever you're facing, you have a king who understands your weakness. You see the cheers they yell at him? The cheers, Hosanna! Hosanna! They're saying, save us, save us. Again, they think he's this military king. And that's not what he's there for. Friends, if if you admit it, Jesus isn't who you wanted. If you don't believe me, do you spend more time asking him for things you don't have? or thanking him for the things that you do? Do you spend more time asking him to fix your life or more time treating him as if he is your life? You may not have wanted a military hero or someone to bring you prominence, but if you're like me, you wanted somebody different than the one who showed up. And so we think We're disappointed. We're disappointed that one coming didn't bring us prominence. We're disappointed that the one who was coming didn't fix all of our problems. It's not the king that we were expecting. And so we're disappointed. How has Jesus disappointed you? What are the things that you begged him for that he said no? Or wait? What are the things that you've tried to lay down for him and instead it seemed like he let you continue to suffer anyway? How has Jesus disappointed you? I want you to understand that as he comes, if we have wrong expectations of him, we will be disappointed in him. We miss him when we think he's coming to fulfill our agenda Jesus didn't come to fulfill your agenda. He came to fulfill His own. We miss Him, not just then, but we also think we miss Him when He thinks He's only coming for us that Jesus is only coming for the insiders. That's what the Pharisees had problems with him, is that Jesus was offering it out further than he'd like. That's what the disciples had problems with, is that Jesus was offering salvation even to people who made the Jews uncomfortable. He wants us to know that he comes gently and for all people. I want you to see that. He comes gently. Listen to this. He comes riding on a colt. Zechariah 9.9. 9. This shows us that he's humble. He's a humble kind of king. Listen. Rejoice, daughter, Zion. Shout, daughter, Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In other words, instead of him riding in on a huge war horse like Solomon would have, like Judas of Maccabee would, instead he rides in on a foal, a, a colt, a donkey. This lowly king comes, and he comes for all people. That's why it says in there that John says the whole world has gone after him. John often puts things in the Bible where, the story, the person who's speaking, says more than they know that they're saying. And the, and the Pharisees are saying, look how the whole world has gone after him. And John is saying, see how the whole world, it's not just local, it's not just tribal. It's for every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. It's all over the world that he comes, and he comes not as this steed, war horse, he comes gentle, lowly. And the reason that I tell you that is you'll never draw near to him if you don't know that he's lowly. You'll always have in the back of your head that he's this angry dad who's disappointed and he just can't wait to discipline you. You'll never come to him unless you understand the lowliness of him. That it says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am lowly, gentle, gentle. In heart, do you think about Jesus as someone who is gentle? If you don't, you'll never come to him. And don't miss gentleness with weakness. Gentleness is strength restrained. He knows exactly who he's coming for, and he's coming for his own, and he won't let even their problems knock him off course. He comes to you gently and humbly. We want him to make us right before the world. Oh, you're right. The Christians were right all this time. We want him to bless us so that we have all the resources we could ever need and so we don't have to depend on him at all. We want him to take up all of our causes. And he says, I'm not coming on your terms. I'm coming on mine. And I'm coming for everyone. And I'm coming lowly and humbly. Jesus doesn't sound a whole lot like Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg, some of you have heard this thank you speech, this one that he's given before. And he said this, I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and trying to give more than I receive. I want to thank me for trying to do more right than wrong. I want to thank me. For just being me at all times. And we kind of smirk at that. We're like, well, you're full of yourself. And we feel that way too. Instead, Jesus comes for the sake of others, He comes to serve. They wanted relief from unpleasant circumstances, they wanted one who would help them with their agenda. We want a Santa Claus who will give us all good things if we're good. We want a doctor who will heal us all the time no matter what. We want a financial wizard who will quadruple our accounts. We want a God who will center himself around our desires and not a God who centers us on his. You see, he comes as a king, but as a lowly king and as a king for all nations. He's not exactly what we wanted. And look at how people respond. I, I want you to see this just because it's so encouraging. It's so encouraging. He says this. Look, at, look with me real quick in verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. Verse sixteen: His disciples did not understand these things at first. Now you remember with me that the disciples were the 12 people who followed Him around every day for three years. The disciples are the people who in the last week He has said three times, they're going to kill me. No, 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 no. They're going to kill me. No, 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 no. They're going to kill me. And it says here, The disciples did not understand these things at first. The reason that that's in there is for you to be encouraged that God knows that it's hard for you to believe. For you to be encouraged that discipleship is slow and it takes a long time and with many setbacks. God is used to dealing with people that can't get it together. So stop shaming yourself that it's taking you a while to grow, to believe more deeply. To think like him. They lived with him for three years. And right even at the end, they still don't get it. And that's why I want you to know, even those who follow him closely don't always understand every aspect of what he's doing. Let me say that again. Even those who follow him closely don't always understand every aspect of what he's doing. He's not who the disciples were hoping he is. They think he's going to bring them prominence. And instead, they're scattered as liars. They think he's going to bring them life, like mortal life, the best kind of life, and because of him, all of them but one will be killed. They think he's going to bring them power, and instead, they're marginalized. They think he'll bring him greatness, and instead, they are persecuted. They think he will dignify Israel. And instead, he becomes the king of all nations. They think he's coming to bring war. And in reality, he's coming to bring peace. Do you see how easy it is to miss what Jesus is about? Oh, what's Jesus about? Oh, Jesus is about being a good person. Oh, Jesus is about bringing good to your city. It's so easy. People get knocked off course and to miss what Jesus is about. This lowly king who comes in gentleness for the rescue of the whole world. What are the things that you yourself are expecting of Jesus and disappointed in Him for not coming? In Acts one six, so I want I want to fast forward just a minute. So here are the disciples. It says the disciples didn't understand this, even though Jesus had told them a lot of times they didn't understand this. Then five days goes by, the disciples disappear into the dark. They kill Jesus. Jesus, just in case you haven't heard all of the story, on Sunday, Jesus is going to rise from the dead, so there's good news coming. But Jesus rises from the dead. Then he says, go, I'm going to to, to come and meet with you. And Jesus finally comes and meets with them again. And in Acts 1-6, this is their question. Remember, now they've seen it all. They've seen the whole game plan. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You feel like Jesus would be like, get out. Get out. I told you for three years then I told you three times specifically then I did it and everything I said was gonna happen and now I'm gonna rescue all of the world who will put their trust in me and you guys are worried about a local army the comfort that you're supposed to draw from that is the fact that Jesus is used to people who don't get it Jesus is used to people who doubt Jesus is used to people who make promises and break them So much to the fact that this huge crowd in five days is going to be no one's left to carry his cross. And his father forsakes him Also, that you get to sit at the table with the father. Jesus is forsaken. Jesus is patient with slow learners like me and like you. So he comes as the Passover lamb. He comes as a king, but as a king who is lowly and gentle and humble. He comes as a king who is... Patient with slow disciples. And then you see the crowds. Crowds yelling from as far as you can see. Hosanna, Hosanna. Five days later, no one's left. What I want you to hear in that is you can stand in a crowd and appreciate Jesus and still not be following him. You can stand in a crowd and appreciate Jesus and still not be following him. And if you have questions about what that means, please follow up with me or Ben or Marnie or Sammy or someone on staff and we'd be happy to walk you through that. But you can stand in a crowd and appreciate Jesus and have no idea what it means to follow Him. Five days, they'll all walk away. It's because they misunderstand Him. They will walk away from Him. And you see how frustrated his enemies are. And we'll close here. His enemies say out loud, look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Who is most mad about Jesus? It's religious people. It's self-righteous people. People who feel like they are told to do something and they can do it faithfully and consistently and without mistake. They will never need or want or appreciate Jesus because they don't need him. But the people who abandon Jesus, the people who promise not to betray him and end up betraying him, the people who say that they will stay up at night and pray with him even though his soul is overwhelmed and instead they fall asleep, those are the people that Jesus came for. Those are the people, not the ones who have it all together, but the ones who are a mess, not the one who keep their promises, but the ones who break their promises, not the ones who have a great history of holiness, but those who don't have any holiness on their own. He's always going to make self-righteous people angry and he's always going to take messy people and watch him sing. What are your expectations of Jesus? If you want him to fix all your problems, you will be disappointed. Trust me. If you want him to bless you financially beyond your wildest imaginations, you will be disappointed if you want him to take every sin out of your life and take it away right away, just because he can, you will be disappointed. Your expectations shape your experience. But if you want a king, a lowly lamb to rescue you and to lead you into a life everlasting, if you want a king who wants you to give your life for the rescue of others, then there is no disappointment in this one. Let's pray. Jesus, I confess to you that you're not always the Jesus I want. I want you to do what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. I want you to take away the sins that bother me, that make me feel small, but I want you to leave the sins that don't bother me at all. I want you to heal my friends and my family from their difficulties, and I don't want you to give me any difficulties. I want you to be on my agenda and I confess these things to you. God, instead of putting you on our agenda, would you kindly teach us to love the coming of the king? The gentle, lonely, lowly lamb who rescues, who leads, who comes for the messed up. Would you cause us to delight in that king, in that lamb?